You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 178, Gisela Kriglinger and Savoring the Goodness of God. Seriously, if you can, grab yourself a glass of wine and listen to this one. It's going to be great. Halfway there, this is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I, of course, am your host, Eric Nevins, and I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for downloading. I've been excited about this conversation for a little while. I can't wait to bring it to you. Our guest today is a theologian, she's a writer and a speaker. And uh, I found one thing she leads people on wine pilgrimages. She also wrote a book called The Soul of Wine Savoring. The goodness of God. I can't wait to talk about that. Um, our guest is Gisela Kringlinger. I think I got it close. Gisela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Eric, for having me. I'm very delighted to be with you. I'm so glad to make the connection again. So um, tell us just a little bit about you and where God has you right now. Well, um, as you mentioned, the recent publication of my book, The Soul of Wine, um, I've been writing about uh, the spiritual and cultural dimension of wine um, for several reasons. First of all, because I grew up on a winery. My family mm. has been crafting wine for many generations. And so I grew up on a winery with a tasting room and a big garden. So that whole agrarian world in crafting wine and growing our own food has been part of my upbringing and deeply shaped my Christian faith. I grew up in the mm. Lutheran church. And um, as I studied theology, as I went to teach Christian spirituality as a seminary, I realized that there was a huge dis disconnect between the theology that I read, um, the sort of environment that I was in, and the way I grew up so close to the land, so close to crafting beautiful wine to bring joy to people. And I just was very puzzled why those worlds weren't better integrated in the North American world that I um, lived in. So I um, decided that I needed to write about that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, which I love. So uh, I want to talk about all that, and I would love to go into some of your um, growing up experiences and some of some of your spirituality there. So um, you grew up in Germany, right? You said on a winery. So that's that's really fascinating. What was that like for you? Well, I grew up in Franconia, which is um, in northern Bavaria, and it's a it's um, a very traditional region. It's beautiful. It's um, I grew up along the river Main, and um, it, it primarily was an agrarian um, community that I grew up in. And when we think about vintners in a winery, we I think there's a temptation to sort of romanticize that sort of world, but it's, yeah. uh, it's a, it's an agrarian existence. 
And I very much grew up, you know, working in a garden, helping on the winery. And my parents were very, um, and still my, my mom's passed away, but my dad is still alive. And though he has passed on the winery, he still works the family garden and you get your hands dirty and they're marked by the soil and working hard. And um, that um, has been my growing up experience. I was very involved in that. You know, me and my three sisters worked very, very hard together with my parents. And, you know, often when we were little, it was little things. When we grew up, it was bigger things. And I, I am very thankful for that upbringing because even as children, we felt that what we did was very, very meaningful, that we were able to contribute to something uh, meaningful that brought joy to people. And um, I, the older I get, the more I think I'm very grateful for this. Mm, yeah, that is really interesting. So sort of a agricultural climate with, uh, you know, I guess really making wine is a, it is a, you're farming, right? It's a farming prospect. It is. It is a farming reality. And yet it's also a kind of craftsmanship and sometimes mm. even a form of art because you're really trying to create something beautiful. You know, when you grow grain um, or you have, you know, livestock, they are very basic things that we need to eat. But with wine, it's different. It's not a basic food item. It's sort of, it's it's on a different level. It adds beauty and a sort of a lavish dimension to our eating and feasting that is, I think, really important. And um, so it is a farming um, exercise. It but it, it's it's it, it does it's sort of a higher form of it, I guess I would say. Yeah, because there, you're really trying to craft something beautiful. There's kind of some art to it. Yeah, and the way you create this beauty is you, you it's very indirect because you're not taking a brush and making strokes on a canvas. You are trying to get in tune with a place, with the earth, with the soil, with um, the site, with the climate, with the, the wind and the rain and the sun and the seasons. And you work with that, they call it terroir. And you have to sort of learn and get acquainted with that. And then in very close relationship with that uh, particular place and climate, you are trying to grow vines and, um, and, and help a fruit grow that then makes a beautiful wine. So I think the sort of interdependence and working with God and creation in this very intimate way is um, really unique to wine crafting. Yeah. So spiritually as a child, what was that like for you? Um, I think I grew up with a, a, a great sense of uh, both wonder, but also utter mm. dependency upon the climate. I remember sitting at, um, you know, having lunch with the family and we always listened to the weather forecast and my parents would discuss, you know, what the weather would be like and how we would adjust what we were doing according to the weather. So there was never the sense we know what we're going to do for the next week or even for the next month, but it, we were always very dependent upon circumstances that we had no control over. Yeah. So did that 
feel like you were dependent on God? Were your family Christians or? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. I think we very much felt dependent upon the earth and the climate and ultimately on God that, you know, we, we, we can't take charge of our lives in the way some other people could. I think being in a farming community and working so closely with the land makes you more vulnerable in what you do. And I think it deepens your faith in a very particular way. Mm. Do you have a, a story about how that maybe affected you as a, as a child? You, um, you know, the most vivid memory is actually not about this. It's not, um, I mean, there are memories that, that are stuck in my um, memory about that, but especially how it relates to my faith. I have a very, um, a very unique memory that I'd like to share, but that was as an adult. I was, I was doing my PhD um, in Scotland and I came back to the winery and my sister had married and my brother-in-law was working with my father on the winery. In that particular year, the circumstances were ideal for creating some beautiful dessert wine. And so they had um, harvested very late in the season um, grapes from um, Arislana, we call it Arislana, it's a dessert wine. And um, they had just, the, the, the wine had, the, the grapes had just gone through the fermenting process and the wine was just sort of being um, tuned and fine-tuned and it was really beautiful. My brother-in-law, you know, called me, I was upstairs taking a shower and I, I ran down in my bathrobe and he said, Gisela, try this. And I took um, a sip from that, Rislana grape and it's a very you know has a lot of sugar content it's a very sweet wine but it also has a lot of acidity and so it's that interplay between the sweetness and the acidity that that made this wine so beautiful and I was just you know amazed at how beautiful it was and I I wanted to say to my brother-in-law well well done and he looked at me and he pointed heavenward Uh. he said Isla I knew that one day I woke up and I realized we have to harvest those grapes today. I just knew Mm -hmm. it in my gut. And that's what they did. And then the next day it started raining and hailing. Had they waited one more day, the harvest would have been destroyed and there would not be this amazing wine. And my brother-in-law very felt like it was this collaboration with God in listening both to the, the what's happening in the climate, but also listening to God and knowing intuitively what was the right time to harvest. And that was for me a beautiful moment in my own life because um, my brother-in-law didn't say, yeah, I, yeah, I make that wine. I feel mm. really good about it. His, his first response was to point heavenward. And yeah. I love that. That is beautiful. Wow. I love that too. So uh, how did your faith become your own? Well, um, I think I've always had a very deep faith um, growing up. I was always fascinated by the stories of the Gospels in particular. The story of Zacchaeus was one mm-hmm. that I loved. But I couldn't, you know, I couldn't figure out those stories as a child because there were these, you know, these different people groups and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jews and the Gentiles. And, you know, I couldn't place all those people 
in the story, but I thought one day when I'm older, I'm going to figure it all out. And um, so I have these memories of a child being fascinated, but yet not understanding. But it was really um, through the Catholic charismatic renewal in Germany that I came to, you know, to find a more um, intense personal relationship with God. In the Lutheran church that I grew up in, our faith was very communal and it was there, but it was it was not focused so much on what does that mean for me. And I think that was a dimension of my life that I was missing. And it was really through this encounter with a student ministry in the Catholic Church. Though I'm Lutheran, that that was the the, the group yeah. that I that I feel like I I came to a much more intense and personal understanding of the Christian faith. That's really interesting. Okay, so I'm fascinated by that interplay, right? So you grew up Lutheran, um, but then it was really a Catholic place, and then you said Catholic charismatic. So that's a whole interesting kind of a combination as well. Yes, it, it, very, you know, very, very unique. I mean, Bavaria is primarily a Catholic region and our little Lutheran village is surrounded by Catholic villages. And um, so that, that you know, people are a lot more, you know, there's a lot more dialogue now mm. um, than there was in the past. And I really am very thankful for um the Catholic Catholic charismatic renewal because I've, you know, Mary was never really an important figure in my faith. And I learned a lot more about Mary and um, icons weren't part of my faith. And I learned a lot more about praying with icons then, uh, but also the charismatic side of the faith that, you know, um, Germans tend to be emotionally, we like to tuck emotions away, especially the uncomfortable ones. Yeah. And one of the great things that the charismatic movement brought to, I think, Germany and um, to, to, to sort of my own journey is, was to befriend my emotional life more rather than, you know, tuck it away when it feels uncomfortable. And that helped me to mature in my faith a lot. Yeah. Okay. Well, how did that happen? Can you tell us that story? Um, yeah, I, I think just um, people were sharing a lot more about their about their formation and how God met with them every you know the the, the student group met every week and, and and people just shared. Someone would get up and just share about their experience with God, how God had met them, um, how that they had grown. Um, a lot of it also had to do with stories of healing, mm. how they felt like God had been healing them and that increased faith in me that God wanted to heal me and my family. And um, yeah, so I I was deeply shaped by um, people giving their testimony and how mm. that raised faith within me that God wanted to be more personally involved in my life. Yeah. Well, obviously I'm a big believer in uh, the testimony, right? That's kind of yes. kind of what we yeah. do here. Uh, I, I just think the story of how God interacts with us is uh, is really the way that He wants to spread uh, the good news of of what He's done throughout the world, and it's it actually is good news when you talk about it personally. Yeah, and I think you know it's it's so easy to stay in the abstract. Yeah. To um, you know, and as theologians, we do study theology from uh, philosophical, systematic, and biblical. Um, angle and those are all 
very, very important. But God works always in the particular of people's lives. And so to learn how to, to open up to God and um, trust that he really does work in the particulars of our lives is very, very important. You know, that, that's, um, it's important to, to, to not forget about that dimension. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what led you to seminary? I think I've always had it in me. I've always asked theological questions. I remember this is another really key moment in my childhood. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't know how old I was. Maybe I was 12. Um, my, my family, when I was young, we also did grow vegetables, um, you know, in the, in the, in the, after rebuilding um, the winery after the, the war, my grandparents and then my parents had to also do other farming on the side. And I remember we were harvesting root vegetables and um, cleaning them on, in a machine that, that, that had sort of, it was sort of a spinning device that had blades on it and you held the back of the root vegetables on it and that it would shred off the little bits. And um, it was actually quite a dangerous thing. You could get your finger caught in it. And I remember helping out my mom and ladies from the village were doing that. We had heavy aprons on and it was quite dirty work. And I helped and I thought, what if I stuck this root vegetable there and then my finger gets caught? And I thought, if that happens, would God have wanted that or was he involved in that or could, mm. have, could he have prevented that? And I remember even as a young person, I had all these strange questions about how God might or might not be involved in our lives. Could he prevent things? Why doesn't he? How is he involved? And so these questions have stayed with me always. And um, I, um, I, you know, sort of continue to pursue them. And um, yeah, so. So you were kind first, of, you were kind of a, a thoughtful kid already. Well, you know, everyone in my family is very practical. And I was always the one that was uh, a bit more of a dreamer. I remember, you know, we had a swing in our courtyard and I would always love going on the swing, singing songs and thinking about the world while the rest of the family was running about doing chores. So um, I, I think I, it, it has always been part of me. And then as, you know, as I was trying to make career choices, my undergraduate degree is in economics and bank administration, a very sort of, <laughs> you know, reliable profession. Right. Um, I, I knew very quickly that that was not where I was going to spend the rest of my life. Yeah. So you ended up going to seminary instead? I did. I worked. Um, I decided to, uh, first to do a volunteer year with a mission organization in mm. Holland, in, 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 in Amsterdam. And I worked with marginalized people. Um, we, you know, we tried to minister to prostitutes, bringing them coffee and roses. And uh, we, we worked with people living on the street and um, that was a profound experience for me and where I realized that, yes, I want to be involved in, in that kind of work. And, um, I, and I think that's where my desire to study theology really awakened more strongly. But I didn't want to study theology in Germany because I felt that was very rationalized and philosophical. I wanted to mm. study theology at a place 
that took seriously the questions of how we become and mature and grow as Christians. And so that's why I went to uh, Regent College in Vancouver, Canada, because they had two professors that taught Christian spirituality. And ultimately, that's what I wanted to study, Christian spirituality. And that's what I did. That's what I focused on and all my studies, my first master's degree was in New Testament studies. I felt very much my uh, whatever I study in terms of Christian spirituality needs to be rooted in the Holy Scriptures. Yeah. Um, and from there, I did my second master's degree with Eugene Peterson, um, exploring wow. Scripture as text for Christian spirituality. And that has really laid the foundation for all of the thinking and writing and speaking that I do. <laughs> asking how is scripture our primary text for spiritual formation. I love that. That's uh that's not too bad to study with Eugene Peterson. Yeah, he, you know, he became he and Jan became very very good friends on the journey and he ended up becoming my spiritual director and he and Jan are probably the people that have shaped my Christian faith the most and wow. they've been very very supportive of me obviously they have gone to better places uh-huh. um but who they are and what they lived for um has stayed with me and will shape me until the rest of my days i'm sure yeah i love the way that you talk about um then this um the spirituality kind of piece of your personality and your studies and then relating that back to to wine this is very interesting. So it sounds like you were aware of that as a, as a child. Were you thinking about that throughout your your education? Yes, I, I actually there was a moment where I thought whether I should do my PhD on this, and I decided not to. I I decided my PhD needed to be more um, far reaching. I needed to study someone who had a very, very deep and profound grasp of Christian spirituality from a biblical perspective, from a literary perspective, from a cultural perspective, from a creation perspective. So I did my PhD on uh, a Scottish poet and theologian called George MacDonald. Oh, yeah. Um, and George MacDonald had a very profound understanding of creation so um, I draw on him a lot. And even as I think about the spirituality of creation and particularly the spirituality of wine and food, I'm still inspired by him. But it was really when I was teaching Christian spirituality at a seminary that I realized that there is such a discrepancy between theology and how it's taught in our embodied and lifting experience in the world and in creation that I, um, you know, I just published my book on George MacDonald and then obviously being on a tenure track position, it was very important to think ahead, you know, what should I write next? And um, I, the institution that I worked for, they really wanted me to write on reformation spirituality and, um, you know, maybe on some uh, pietist uh, thinkers and my question was always, what sort of spirituality do we need to cultivate and develop for the 21st century? Mm. And to study pietists from the German tradition or, you know, even the reformers, I wasn't sure how much they um, 
how much I could draw on them to develop a Christian spirituality for the 21st century. I'm sure other people have lots of ideas, but I wasn't sure how to do that. And when I was talking to publishers, they were like, mm, no, I don't think we're interested in that. And then I remember one person from Ertman said to me, well, do you have any other ideas that you would like to write <laughs> on? And I thought, yeah, I do. I would like to write on the spirituality of wine. And he gave me his card and said, as soon as you have something, give it to me. Wow. And then I started asking around and I realized that publishers were really interested in this. And then I realized this is something that no one has ever written about in any sub substantial way. And I began to wonder about that because I don't know if you're aware of it, there are nearly a thousand um, references to wine and wine related themes in the Bible. It's not just you know, a little idea in the Bible. It's a big theme and it really roots our Christian faith in creation in a very beautiful way because wine is such a beautiful and powerful gift from God. It has a very, very meaningful um, role in, 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 in God's dealing with this world and with uh, humanity and with salvation and redemption. Yeah. I, so that's when I that's when I started thinking about that and I did a little bit more research and realized wow people really don't write about this and I realized that there aren't a lot of people that are steeped in theology and steeped in in wine and in the wine world that could do that and I felt like this is a unique contribution that I can offer to the world and I also felt and that was very important for me it can be a meaningful um, contribution to how we develop and envision Christian spirituality in the 21st century. Because if nothing else, we do need to rediscover what a meaningful creation spirituality can look like and how that informs our Christian faith. Yeah, boy, I love that. I absolutely love that. Okay. So, um, I want to I want to go into that, but I have to ask one more question before we before we go much further into wine. So, have you ever had a, a season when you felt like God was far away, or like go through a dark night of the soul? Yes, yeah, I, yeah, I, I have, but maybe not so much um, that God was far away. It was more and always a wrestling with God. My family has experienced some very, very hard things. My mom struggled with depression. My sister lost a child in a very tragic accident. And I think I've, one of the things that Eugene Peterson taught me is it's okay to be angry with God. Oh, I have been angry with God a lot. And I have, uh, Eugene really taught me how to pray the Psalms well so that I could really voice my complaint. So I'm not saying that I haven't had um, times when I felt that God was distant, but there, there have been those times. But more than that, there have been a lot of times where I've wrestled with God. Yeah. And I have, you know, said, what are you doing? Um, I've been angry. I've been um really, really having very intense and hard conversations with God. And those have led me into seasons of grieving the losses that we experience. My mom, you know, her first bout with serious depression was when I turned 18. 
And then she was put on medication. And from then on, I felt a part of her was gone. And so I had to, even though my mom was still there, I had to grieve that part of my mom left us when I was 18. And that was very, very hard for me. You know, you're a young woman, you're trying to find your way in the world. And, you know, your mom is a person that guides you in this. And my, I felt like my mom couldn't be emotionally and spiritually be there for me. She she wanted to, and she's, she, she was a very, very caring and loving person, but there, there was a part of her that wasn't there, and it was very hard for me. Yeah, absolutely. And then being able to take that to the Lord and and, and do that in a really healthy way, um, what was? can you tell us just like what that was like for you? You know, I think one thing about this Catholic charismatic group that I was part of is People were allowed to be real. A lot of people went through a lot of hard stuff and they just were very open about it. And they had community living um, as a huge part of their ministry. So I joined a group of women and I lived with them in a community house. And that's more common in Germany than it is over here in North America. And I think living in community and doing this work together, um, I was given a lot of room to work through um, my um, my losses, uh, the traumas we have experienced as a family. And we had a lot of help and support because they were also trying to figure out, there were a lot of psychologists and doctors and nurses involved. And it was a very unique sort of a community to learn to grieve mm. and learn to mourn yeah. as well as celebrate. And so I was, you know, I was, 20, 21 years old when I was part of that. And I think a lot of that, um, um, a lot of those experiences laid the groundwork for spirituality that was very honest and um, very communal and gave a lot of space to um, grieving and working through things that we all need to work through. That sounds amazing. So one of the things, this is just an impression that I have. I grew up in Iowa, so you know, thoroughly American, right? Um, but my impression is that where America tends to be very individualistic, Europeans tend to be much more communal. You have a much longer history to draw from. So you talk about in the book, 1400 years of farming the land, right? And and yeah. uh, so that's, a, that's a long heritage to go, yeah, we're doing this and our ancestors have done this. And this is, this is who we are. It's identity shaping. It's communal it brings you into a you know people a people group i guess uh, we don't really have that so that stands out to me as something that really would be formational and interesting yeah and you know i have lived in the us and i'm moving back to the us and i think one of the things that struck me about the us is that a lot of cities and communities were designed after the car was invented mm-hmm. and so we you know i grew up in a medieval village where everyone walked about and so the design of the villages and the cities are like that. So community is uh, in, in, in the very, you know, design of the places that we live. And that is not the case in many places in the U.S. And so it's much harder to build community. And um, I, But I think a lot of people are longing for that. I think a lot of people are sort of tired to do this thing, you know, by themselves or on their own. And they want to live in closer proximity to others 
and learn what it means that we live this faith together, that we become more mutually dependent upon one another. And I think people find it harder here to ask for help. Yeah. You know, it's sort of a, a mark that you are independent. They are, they are willing to help out, but maybe receiving help or really asking, you know, could I borrow your truck? You know, I have no problem asking my friends, hey, I need your truck. Do you mind if I use it? You know, I think this is something where um, I see this country is uh, changing people, especially the younger generation. They don't have the resources that their parents have. And they need to become more resourceful. And um, the way you become more resourceful is to um, share your resources, to lean on one another. And so that's something that I very much um, hope that will happen more in this country. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, there's an interesting way that wine brings people together. Yes. So let's yeah. talk about that. Tell, tell me a little bit about how that, how that works. Well, I mean, you know, obviously there's the agrarian dimension when you sort of grow wine and you're on a winery, you, um, you, you, you immediately become a center for community because people work for you and with you. We had seasonal workers, but then also we had a tasting room. We still have a tasting room and people would come to the tasting room for wine tastings. And so from a very early age, I observed how these wine tastings transformed a community germans tend to be very reserved um you know we're, we're sort of an independent lot too we, we we like to accomplish things and we're quite competitive and all of that and we want to give the impression that we have it all together and i remember um you know groups would come to the winery for a wine tasting being reserved a bit on the serious side not as relaxed and then they would sit down and um, my father would pour some wine and talk about it. And with every wine that our guests sampled, I could see how people relaxed, mm. how they would smile more, how they would engage in more animated conversations, how confessions would come easier, confessions yeah. of joy and delight, but also confessions of where life is hard where they've experienced suffering and loss. And so over the course of an evening, a very reserved and formal group of guests would be transformed into a community that would laugh and um, share and be in these wonderful conversations with one another. And that happened every time a group would come. But also around our dinner table, you know, we had, I mean, my family lives for food and wine and being around the t dinner table and having um, celebrations and inviting people into this was a big part of my growing up years. And again, I saw very similar things happen. Life is hard in the challenges that we had in running a winery and, you know, an agrarian business. They're hard, but these places of coming together around the table, of being together and celebrating life together um, were wonderful. And wine played a very important role. Of course, as children, we didn't drink wine. I mean, we weren't allowed. I mean, we, might, we were allowed to have a little sip, but it was the adults that I could see that with that it really softened them and helped them relax and enjoy being with one another, enjoying the wine and the food. 
And so I think that is um, a really, really important aspect of wine. And I think its mission in this world. In Psalm 104, it says that God gave wine to make glad the hearts of humanity. God was God gave us wine to bring us joy. Wine, both the beauty of the wine, but also the alcohol, it has an intoxicating impact. Um, they can um, evoke joy in us. We often think of intoxication as something very negative. And I think if you abuse alcohol and you drink too much, it is negative. Right. But there is a dimension of intoxication that I call holy intoxication. And it's just a form of tipsiness that sort of sheds this sense of needing to be in control and needing to sort of be guarded and um, and, and opening you up, opening you up to the wine, to the people, but ultimately also to God. And um, I think this is a wonderful, wonderful gift that wine can give to us. Yeah, absolutely. We, of course, had prohibition in the United States 100 years ago, and we are so still affected by that. Um, so we, we, I don't know if, it's interesting. So for me, I told you, I grew up in Iowa, very, very, um, I don't know, Puritan is not the right word, but but just, um, I'm, I can't think of the right word, but not, like, we didn't touch alcohol at all. You know, like my grandparents... Total teetotalers. Um, but, and even when I lived in Chicago, it was not very, um, not, I mean, once in a while people would get together. But when I moved to Denver, like, so I moved to Denver to go to Denver Seminary. I, I tell people all the time, I didn't learn to smoke or drink until I went to seminary. <laughs> um, but it was here that I really discovered that dimension of, of kind of the, the communal, like, okay, I'm, I have this mentor and he says, let's go meet and we'll have some chips and salsa and drink some beer together. And we just enjoy our, each other's presence, you know, but it's not, not inherent in our culture the way it is in Europe. Well, I think it wasn't, but things are changing. And I write about that in the soul of wine. Yeah. Um, things are changing in this, in this country very, very quickly. There is There are big grassroots movements that want to be more agrarian. They want to treasure um, the earth and its gift, the farm to the table movement. But wineries are popping up all over the place. There are wineries in every state. Um, of the United States now. Mm. Um, the wine world is growing rapidly. I mean, uh, California and Oregon, for example, they produce beautiful wines, and with it comes a wine culture. Um, so wine, you know, it's not just the wine, but it really draws you to a life around the table of sitting down, taking time together to create some beautiful food that will go with the wine, to have conversations, to think about the world more deeply. And, um, you know, you even see that when you travel in the airports. There used to be just these, um, you know, fast food places with very, very unhealthy food. Oh, yeah. Now you see wine bars and they offer you maybe a charcuterie platter and some olives and some baguette. So people are tired of fast food and low quality food and, you know, sugary soda drinks that um, make you ultimately sick and they want better food and they want beverages that are of high quality that taste beautiful and that are also healthy you know wine in moderation 
can be good for your health. Right. So I think the culture is changing and has changed profoundly. And I think the Christian world is slowly waking up to the fact that the culture is changing. And then perhaps that we can engage with that. And with wine, you know, suddenly people are waking up like, wow, wine is a big theme in the Bible. Actually, it's God's gift to humanity. So why do we let the secular world define the meaning of wine for us? Amen. Wow. Yeah. And even Paul, uh, there's that famous passage about Tim. He tells Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach, right? It's good. Yes. Um, The, you know, wine has been a primary medicine up until the 19th century in Western civilization. And I write about this in my book, The Spirituality of Wine, where I cover a lot of ground, but I have a whole chapter on the health benefits of wine, how in the ancient world, how in the time of Jesus, how in the history of the church, I mean, the monks and nuns knew the health benefits of wine. It only came later in the 19th and then the 20th century that we have forgotten about the natural remedies. You know, the more the pharmaceutical world moved in and told us that there are all these pharmaceutical products that you can use um, rather than looking to nature. Obviously, it's not one over the other. I'm so, so glad for, you know, the advance in medicine that we've made. But we forget that you know, wine in moderation, one glass of wine a day can be really, really good for your health. And um, so all of these things just need to be rediscovered. And so Mm. all I wanted to do is, you know, draw on the rich tradition that we have and on my own experience of growing up in a winery and say, see, wine and the fruits of the earth in general are a gift from God that that are to bring us joy, to bring us healing, and to draw us closer to one another and ultimately to God. Yeah, I love that. Uh, some people might be a little intimidated by wine, though. Uh, yes. You talk about that a little bit. It can be um, a little bit, you know, it seems there's languages we don't understand. There's concepts we don't understand. How do you get over that? Well, I think... It's really important that that's a, the way we talk about wor- uh, wine today is a very recent phenomenon, especially in in North America, because there is not that rich history of wine in the church and being part of the Christian life. It's really the secular world and the wine expert that have taken over the world of wine, and they define the meaning of wine for us. And obviously, that's a very wide group of people, but there are tendencies within that group to make it a very elitist sort of beverage. And you have to know all of these things about the wines and you have to acquire a certain um, way of talking about wine to really be in that guild of sophisticated wine drinkers. When, you know, where I come from in Germany, but also in France, most people that enjoy wine don't know a lot about wine. They also don't talk about wine with this sometimes outlandish vocabulary. They only know their local wines. They wouldn't be able to tell you that much about their wines, but they can still savor them. And so in part, I've written The Soul of Wine to help us reclaim wine as a gift from God and to shed those um, these senses of intimidation that we might have and, um, you know, to sort of keep these wine experts at a distance. We can learn a lot from them, but also we don't need 
to do what they do. We can learn from them, but we can explore wine on our own terms. And so I've written The Soul of Wine in part to help people do that, yeah. to um, discover wine without the pressures of having to measure up, um, of having to spend a lot of money. Obviously, you know, I think you do in the U.S. have to spend around $20 to get a bottle of of wine that has some you know, uh, sophistication and, and, and the complexity of meaning that a lot of the very cheap mass-produced wines don't give. So, um, you know, well-crafted wines are a lot more affordable in Europe because we have a longer tradition of it and there's more available, while here in the U.S. that's still a younger tradition. But hopefully within, you know, the next few decades that will change and um, it will make well-crafted wines more affordable yeah is there something we should look for like if i were were to go you know to a, a store what what should i look for that maybe you don't have to mention specific brands or anything but like what should i look for that would tell me that's something i want to try well i think it really and you know we have actually put together a little help sheet mm. that um people can get for for the soul of wine where i do exactly that i'm going to trip, give people some guidelines for how to find affordable wines you know what's wines to look for i encourage people if you have a good wine shop in your city or close to where you live try try and go there and see whether you can um, um, get some help. I think if you don't know anything about wine, it would be good for you to get someone that can help you choose some well-crafted wines that are affordable. Um, you know, you can you can probably find some online resources for that. But because I want people to connect with their community and get to know people, if you have a wine shop close by, that's a great way to learn about wine, to connect with, with people in your community that want to learn about wine, and then ask the, the people that work in the wine shop to help you. Because the wine world is so complex now. You can get wines from all over the world. You won't be able to maneuver that, but there are people there who um, who can help you with that. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, so that's great. I did see that you have this uh, free download at your website um, for where it says Soul of Wine, and I'll link that in halfway there, halfway there podcast.com in the show notes, friends, as always, so you can get that. And uh, I won't say it as beautifully as you did, but... So it's called Affordable Wines and How to Create a Charcuterie Board. Yeah, and I think guidance in finding well-crafted wines that are affordable is very, very important. But you have to be discerning about, you know, the, the wine experts. There are some that are really helpful and then others, they, they, you know, they, they want to impress. You know, often people in a wine shop want to impress the wine writers or, you know, it, it just, it, it's, a, it's a very complex um sort of field these days and um sort of find people who are down to earth who don't want to intimidate you but really help you find a well-crafted wine and learn about wine it, it might take some asking around but you could go to a good restaurant where you live and say you know what wine shop would you recommend you know or yeah. people that you might know who know a lot about wine say hey, i don't know about wine where do you think i should go this is what i do when i go to a new place Nice. Just ask around. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. So I love this. Um, one thing I'm doing, I just want to mention is I've sent out, we have some friends that we just, uh, 
we don't really have a small group right now, but we have some friends that we like to do life with. And so I sent a picture of your book, uh, The Soul of Wine, over to her and said, hey, let's do this. And we'll maybe like once a month or once a quarter and get together. Everybody brings, we'll, we'll craft, you know, a group of people that we, we want to, we, who would enjoy it and have everybody bring a, a bottle of wine and we'll make some, some stuff up and we'll just kind of hang out together and we'll do some, some of these questions because you have some great questions in here. Yeah, and I As think well. that's, that's a great idea to sort of get a group of people who want to learn about wine and God together, meet mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And then, um, you know, I, I would work with a wine shop and say, hey, help us put together, you know, maybe four or five wines that we could sample alongside one another that would go well with it and, you know, let them help you with finding what sort of cheese will go with it or some meats and then really take the time to sample them it's when you sample wines alongside one another where the learning experience happens if you just sample one wine and you don't have anything to compare it with it's really hard to learn yeah yeah i think that will be a lot of fun so um that's something i'm going to do definitely it's on my list of, of things to do this year partly because i've wanted to get into wine for a little while so this was a I would say it was a godsend. It's kind of a, an invitation, I think, to to not only um, explore wine, but also to explore God's goodness through it. And then also community, which I think is absolutely beautiful. So, Yes, and I especially feel for uh, the Christian community here in North America, we do need to reclaim God's gifts for the body of Christ. Amen. And obviously some who have, you know, alcohol abuse in their family background, they have to be very, very careful. But for those of us who don't and who are free to explore this world, I think we do need to consider why is wine so important in the Bible? What is it about wine and the beauty of wine? And to really... Um, go onto an exploration together. And then you will also see all the side effects of, um, you know, um, gathering around wine and food, which is to build community, to get to a deeper sense of knowing one another. And through that, we also will come to know God more deeply, I believe. Amen. I totally agree with that. Gisela, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you sharing your story. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, I think this these times are not easy times. They're not easy times here or anywhere else in the world. And more than ever, I think it is important that we receive joy from God and that we cultivate that gift in our midst. And we can do that intentionally. We can lean into a life of joy. And that doesn't mean just fun and happiness. That means being joyful, even as we go through difficult times. And so I would encourage everyone to ask, what does it mean for us in these difficult times to cultivate a sense of joy and to reach out to those who are other than us? I think that's really important. And wine can help us with that. Mm, I love it. Yeah, the book is called The Soul of Wine, Savoring the Goodness of God. You can pick it up anywhere. You get great books. And, uh, of course, your website is GiselaKriglinger.com. I have links to that at HalfwayTherePodcast.com in the show notes. So you guys can check that out. Uh, it's even in your app. You can. It's linked up there. You guys can find it. Um, so take a minute to just to just do that and pick up that download, Affordable Wines and How to Create a Charcuterie Board. So um, I'm definitely going to be – I'll keep you updated how it goes with my friends. It'll, it'll be fun. Thanks so much for being here. It was a delight to talk to you, Eric. Thank you. 